1: Welcome back to Heartwind's Building Sustainability podcast. I'm Jeffrey Hart, and this is episode number two. Before I talk about this episode's guest, I just want to tell you about our 2019 student application process. We are building two straw bale workshops from foundations right the way through framing, uh, insulation, putting the roof on, doing everything. Um, you can come along and be part of that. Um, and it's free you will receive a complete build education with classroom sessions to talk about theory but mostly you'll be just getting hands-on and and learning by doing so if that sounds like something you'd like to do head on over to the heartwind website read the information on there tell you all the dates and uh what it's going to build some pictures of what the uh, the thing looks like and there's also the application form so get that filled in and we can't wait to read all about you so this episode's guest is chris vernon chris was a climate scientist realized that there was enough climate scientists saying this is what you need to do and not really enough people doing it so he and his wife erica and their family have moved to wales uh, to build a new small holding under Wales's One Planet Development Policy. I'll let Chris tell you more about that and what it all entails in the episode. But in a nutshell, it's living sustainably off the land, living in a carbon-neutral, beautiful straw bale house. So Chris will tell us a little bit about what the One Planet Development Policy is and how it applies, and then we will talk through a little bit about his straw bale house. So big thanks to Chris for coming on the podcast. And big thanks for you for listening. That's cheesy.
0: We're currently in our house that is not quite finished, but we're nearly there. It's our self-built house on our one planet development in Mm -hmm. Carmarthenshire in Wales we've spent the last two years or so Mm -hmm. building this house and it's at the stage where the two of us can sit down and have a relaxed conversation in it the (laughs) sun is shining and um and the house is working
1: yeah it's lovely and warm on this reasonable day well actually for for March it's pretty pretty glorious um so I think we'll we'll come back to to one planet development and what what that is and what it means um but i'm interested to know about your background and what's led you to this point
0: yeah so this point is myself and my my wife and children um living in a in a rural rural setting um basically a small holding in in southwest wales um but we didn't always live like this mm-hmm. um whilst i did grow up on a small holding um in a different different part of the country um for the last 20 years or so i've been um after university working in engineering and most recently um at the met office um, looking at climate change amongst other things um but a few years ago i think we came to the conclusion my wife and i um she's also a climate scientist Mm um that the climate science and the study of it the academic side of researching the the situation we find ourselves in really yeah wasn't really um it wasn't really delivering the results that we like it wasn't really um enabling the change that we'd like to like to see in the world it wasn't really addressing the problem uh-huh. um the climate science community is very good at understanding the situation. Um, Proposing changes that may improve a situation um, but hasn't been particularly successful in delivering those changes right or or should or maybe communicating the changes in an effective enough way such that um, politicians and the general public um, can get on board with delivering those changes right so so a few years ago, I think I decided um not long after completing my phd that rather than spend the next 10 or 20 years in academia studying the the situation we find ourselves in and, mm-hmm. and possibly writing and publishing academic papers i'd rather take a sort of one step outside of that and actually try and live my life and try and do something practical yeah. that was aligned with my understanding of the, the situation aligned with the science. Yeah. So I was looking for a way to reduce my consumption, Mm -hmm. reduce my environmental impact. um, And that started really with the, with where we lived and the house we lived in. Mm -hmm. Um, Where were
1: you living at that
0: point? uh, I was living down in Exeter. Okay. um, You know, in a fairly conventional house Um, before that Bristol again, in a fairly conventional house, um, long, long, Long-term series of of renting lots of different houses and uh, the, uh, the rental market is a is another maybe a topic for another day. <laughs> sort of yeah, <laughs> trials and tribulations of renting in the UK. Um, but but yeah, we wanted the um, the security of of owning our own house. But um, houses are rather expensive, and whilst we probably could have afforded to buy a house, it would have. Entailed several decades of mortgage and mm. both of us working most of the hours um and with with a young family, we didn't really want to lock ourselves into that situation of of having a having sort of decades' worth of mortgage to pay off so we were looking at well what what are the, what of alternatives mm. um are we able to are we able to self build and um and it turns out that we are able to self-build, um, with with a whole host of advantages that that can bring. Right,
1: and so now we're we're talking about the one planet development, now, aren't we? And that's yes, and that's the, it's actually quite difficult to self-build uh, affordably, I would say, in the UK because any plot that has building permission is vastly inflated in price and anything without is uh, uh well you're gambling a huge amount if you if you can actually get planning yes suppose-
0: that's that, that's that's definitely the case the, the 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 planning system in the uk has had a very a very abrupt cut off in that either land has planning permission to, to live on um in which case developers build as many houses as they can mm. and you have small houses with small gardens to maximize the return for the developer or you have open countryside with no houses on it
1: yeah
0: so the concept of creating a new house with a parcel of land attached to it basically a small holding yeah. just doesn't really exist in the planning system so there are thousands of small holdings in the UK But there are very, very few small holdings that have been built since the 50s, since the sort of existing framework of of planning legislation came into force. Um, Now, if you regard small holdings as a sensible way of developing, um, which I do, small holdings give a degree of um, resilience to a household. Um, They they enable a household to have a, a low environmental impact. Mm -hmm. Um, a degree of uh, there's also a degree of um, responsible land stewardship that's possible with small holdings small holdings are very good for for biodiversity they're very complex environments um, rather than sort of dense urban environments which don't have a lot of space for biodiversity and monoculture industrial agriculture in the countryside which again doesn't have very much space for biodiversity so I think small holdings are a nice way for humans to Interact with the earth system yeah um, but but the planning system doesn't recognize that the planning system basically doesn't make it possible for the creation of new small holdings um, in in the UK uh, there are a few sort of bits of policy that that blur the edges a bit um, but here in Wales we have the one planet development policy policy which specifically allows the creation of new small holdings or new small farms um, in the open countryside. So, you're able to build a house in the open countryside, mm-hmm. which typically isn't possible under under planning policy, but there are a number of requirements to ensure that that remains a sensible decision um, Firstly, talking about the building itself, the building itself needs to be um, zero carbon in construction and use um so no fossil fuels used um in its sort of operation. You're not allowed to be using coal or oil or gas or, or um grid electricity which is generated from from, from gas in part. Right. Um and in construction, zero carbon in construction is is rather poorly defined, but the way most people interpret it is that the um amount of carbon sequestered in the fabric of the building. Right. Should offset the amount of carbon that was emitted in the high carbon elements of the building. Uh-huh. So, so glass, for example, yeah. is obviously uh, an element of a building which is unavoidable, but does have a carbon footprint yeah. associated with it. Um, so, so you're you're talking about
1: there things like trees or straw where they've grown there in their out in their field, uh, and you know they are carbon. And you're you know using those as a building material. So by sequestering them, you're you're essentially stopping them breaking down. Uh,
0: yeah, but that's exactly yeah. it. So 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 when when the tree grows, it absorbs carbon from the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the tree, if the tree were to die and decompose naturally, yeah, that carbon would return to the atmosphere. If it were to be cut down and burnt as firewood or chipped in a and burnt in a in a power station, um, or if it was chipped and then the chips were put on the ground to compost, that all releases the carbon again. Yeah. So so if a tree dies and within a year or two or three, depending on how it was used, the carbon that it absorbed during its lifetime we back in the atmosphere. The the timber we've used in our house, and we've used quite a lot of it because um it's it's, it's got a fairly significant roundwood timber frame. It's a two-story house and also all the the joists and rafters um, are, are, are locally sourced timber as well. Um, that carbon that's in the timber will be sequestered, kept out of the atmosphere mm-hmm. for at least the age of this house, which could be, hopefully, in excess of a hundred years. Mm. But even at the even if this house were to fall down, um, a lot of the timbers would. We will be recovered and used in another in a subsequent building. Yeah. So by capturing this timber um, and using it in construction in the way we have, we've kept that carbon out of the atmosphere for many centuries. Yes. Um, we anticipate um, so that 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 could be seen as, as sequestered carbon, which when you run the numbers has offset. The amount of carbon involved in the in the manufacturing of the glass and the manufacturing of the copper in our electrical wires right. and that sort of thing. Um, so you're sort of
1: you're trading the the, the two off against yeah, each other.
0: And it's not just the timber; we've also used um, straw bale in the walls. We've mm-hmm. used almost 500 straw bales in the wall, so that's again um, represents a few tons of carbon, mm-hmm. which is locked up for instead of one year, which it would have been if a straw had been um burnt or if it had been used as bedding or been plowed back into the field that straw is now being held that carbon is now being held back from the atmosphere yeah for for the, for the age for the, for the lifetime of the house um which given where we are with carbon emissions and you add a carbon in the atmosphere mm. i'd argue that sort of any little helps keeping carbon out of the atmosphere right now is, is 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 a positive um so not only is there that that positive that we've kept carbon out but by using the straw and the timber, instead of using bricks and cement to build the house, mm-hmm. we've, we've we've kind of you, you kind of win twice in a way. We've, you've, we've captured carbon from the atmosphere and kept it there, but also we've mitigated the use of the alternative, which would have been the the, the bricks and the cement. Yeah, so it's sort of it's, it depends on how you run the numbers and things, but mm. but generally we're confident that the that us us choosing to live in this house and create this house has had a lower impact um than if we'd chosen to have a conventionally built house built yeah. for us or or live in an existing house but require someone else to live in a new house if you know what I mean. Sure. It's,
1: and it would uh is there a possibility of a net gain in have you have you actually done the numbers um that?
0: we haven't done the numbers to that degree of certainty that there's mm. a possibility of a net gain. Um there there may be. Um, I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like to <laughs> pin my pin my flags to that mark exactly, but yeah. it's it's going to be of that, of that of that order. Excellent.
1: So that's one of the the elements of one yes.
0: Thing, so, right? so 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 the one plant development policy. The, so that's the buildings themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a requirement to meet your minimum needs from the site itself. Okay. Now this isn't the same as being self-sufficient um I'd argue being self-sufficient is basically impossible in, uh-huh. in a western country in today's world but the planning policy um quite specifically defines your minimum needs mm-hmm. and um your minimum needs are your energy yeah um your um waste assimilation okay. um the stuff that can be composted yeah um, there's also some financial minimum needs, such as paying your council tax right um, paying transport costs um, paying for your clothing, paying for your i t and telecommunications mm-hmm. council deems as a as a minimum need these days right um and a fraction of your own food, so we need to make about two thirds of our own food from site right. But the food itself is a little bit awkward um, whilst the site has to provide two thirds by value of our food, only about one third of that has to be directly grown on site yeah and the other third uh, approximately um, can be bought but with income that's derived from activities on site
1: right so when you're saying about the the council tax that's the same exactly so yes all... the council
0: tax requires is required to be paid for in currency um so so the planning policy requires a land-based enterprise, basically a small business, uh-huh. so to run from the site, which earns enough money um, every year to pay for your council tax, to pay for your IT and telecommunications, to pay for your transport expenditure, pay mm-hmm. for your clothing. Yeah. So it's not your for sole income; it's not all the money that the household requires. But the land-based enterprise for site has to supply the minimum needs, right? And for us and for typical one planet developments it's a few thousand pounds maybe five thousand pounds a year okay so our seems like a reasonable amount yeah so our land-based activities here on the site have to earn around five thousand pounds a year that cover off those 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 minimum needs as the, as the policy describes them
1: mm-hmm. and what are what are people doing or well, what are you doing to to meet those needs
0: so there's a huge variety of, of, of how, people, um, how people earn their money off, off their sites. Um, in our case, um, we sell honey. We keep bees. We have um, around a dozen colonies of bees. Yeah. Um, at the moment, we just sell honey, though we are thinking about selling um, bees themselves, um, right. co- colonies of bees in, in the spring. Um, <laughs> so
1: how much does the average colony of bees go for? That's something I've never heard of.
0: Um, well it depends on the on the size of a colony and the time of year um, a, a small colony um, a, a nucleus colony a nuke um, yeah. which has overwintered so it would be ready for sale yeah. in the spring um, would would be over £100. Really? Um, a hundred pounds really and a a full production colony mm. a little bit later in the season might be might be even closer to two hundred pounds we 've got one hundred and fifty pounds wow. um, so yeah so producing colonies Thumbies. of bee bees for sale is a is a is, is a is a viable enterprise huh. um so we'll, sorry
1: i interrupted mm, you you were uh, you were saying you're, you're uh, um, uh, so that's
0: so, so one strand of our enterprise is the beekeeping business no. Um the other strand of our enterprise is an apple orchard right um when we when we first bought this land we um grafted and planted about two acres of apple orchard about just over 200 trees mm-hmm. um, and they are just sort of coming into production now sort of best part of five years on now right um so that will produce apples which we will mainly juice right. and, and sell the apple juice so our, our our main products from the site are honey and apple juice right but other one planet developments have quite a a wide range of of different products um anything from from meat to flowers to eggs um to sort of willow work and woodwork because uh-huh. it because a, a land based enterprise doesn't necessarily have to be horticulture obviously right. it can be anything which has a land based component so mm-hmm. so if you're growing timber yeah. and then carving spoons from the timber that you've grown on the site that spoon is a land based product gotcha because mm-hmm. the the timber that has gone into it um as land-based
1: is it is it your land-based rather than land-based
0: uh yes absolutely so the so the one planet development planning policy refers to the bit of land on which your one planet development is based it's it's where your house is it's where your infrastructure is and the products that are grown or reared on site Mm -hmm. have to come from that bit of land so you're managing this bit of land in a way that can support your minimum needs correct so we've discussed the, the building mm-hmm. and we've discussed the need for the site to meet your minimum needs. Um, another aspect of the policy is the ecological footprint.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, the ecological footprint is a measure of impact or measure of consumption. Um, it, it's related to your behavior. Right and the and it's where the name of the policy comes from, the one planet development. So the one planet in that refers to having an ecological footprint of one planet, and what that means is if everybody had an ecological footprint of one planet, then we as a global population would be sustainably using the earth's resources.
1: as in we would need one planet. we would
0: need two. one planet to support us, right so our consumption of food and of raw materials, but also our production of waste Mm -hmm. and the assimilation of that waste into the Earth system would be basically in balance. Okay. So the earth could support our common population if we all had ecological footprints of one planet. Yeah. Because there'd be enough plants growing, there'd be enough crops, there'd be enough fish growing and there'd be enough waste assimilation in terms of our own waste, our pollution, and the whole system would be in balance.
1: Gotcha.
0: Now, globally, we're not in balance at the moment as a population. We're using maybe one and a half, 1.7 planets. Globally? Globally. Now, in the rich West, we're using even more than that. So in Wales, we're using a bit more than three planets globally. So individually, um, the average person in Wales is using about three times more of the Earth's production and the Earth's waste assimilation capacity mm-hmm. in our in our average lifestyle here in Wales, um, but those people living on One Planet developments have moderated their behaviour, moderated their consumption, um, such that our impact is down to the One Planet level. Yeah, so we're not making um, excess demands on the planet.
1: Uh-huh. I think I heard. Um... That if we all lived, uh, was it like like they're living in Dubai? It was something like eight planets or something like that. That we'd need to sustain.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, so there's a broad spectrum. I mean, the, the it, and it fundamentally it comes down to how wealthy you are and how much you spend, right? Because it's really it's consumption based, okay. and the and if you're very wealthy and if you spend a lot, then. Pretty much by definition, you've got a high consumption and a high ecological impact. Right. And if you're very poor and you spend very little, then you have a very low ecological impact. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much impossible to have a very large ecological impact if you haven't got any money. Right.
1: Well, that's good to know.
0: (laughs) But if you're (laughs) very wealthy and you buy a lot of things and you buy a lot of energy and you travel around a lot, then you've, by definition, pretty much got a high ecological footprint. Uh Yeah so
1: one planet in general how what's the the uptake of that so far
0: the one planet development planning policy that's available in wales um has been available for about a decade now It was 2009 i think that the that the policy um the policy was published yeah um the take up was quite slow in the early years um but following the publication of the Practice Guidance, mm-hmm. which was a, a much more significant document um published by the Welsh government that explained the policy in more detail than ah. had previously been available, um, really helped applicants understand the policy, yeah. but also helped the local authority and planning officers to understand the policy. Yeah. Um, and I think there are approximately 30 or so one planet developments okay, in so wales that's now. Quite a
1: slow uptake in 10 years
0: then. yeah there's approximately 30 but i'd say more than half of those have occurred in the last maybe two or three years right so there's okay. definitely so the beginning of there's the definitely curve, an then. acceleration yeah um there aren't one planet developments in all parts of wales yet i mm-hmm. think approximately half of the local authorities have have opds yeah opds one planet developments um there's a bit of a concentration in the southwest of wales yeah. um pembrokeshire Carmarthenshire, ceredigion um a little bit sort of historical of of a, there's, there's always been a an um, an interest in um in low impact development in this in this part of wales um but in recent years there have been opds in mid wales and, and in north wales uh, as Paris well it's
1: just got their um
0: their first one, didn't they? Yes. I think there's, there's, there's two in Paris and I think there's another one maybe in the pipeline. So it it is, it is a national policy and there are applications and, and approvals um, occurring throughout Wales now. Do you know
1: what sort of numbers are, you know, putting in applications?
0: Um, you know,
1: what the, what the next few years might, might hold for.
0: There are quite a few applications I'm aware of that are, that are in the pipeline. Um, the approval rate is actually very high. Mm-hmm. Um, very few OPD applications are actually rejected. Right. I mean, it it was quite a lot involved in producing a One Planet development application. Um, it's a planning application for a new house, just like any other. Yeah. But you also have to explain what your land management plan is going to be. Yeah. What are you going to do on this site? Which is going to facilitate your low ecological footprint? Which is going to facilitate the um, the meeting of your minimum needs? Yeah, uh, and you have to show other improvements. You have to show um, biodiversity improvements. You have to in, you have to show um, sort of public social improvements. It's, it's there's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of evidence that's required. There's a lot of planning and structure that mm-hmm. goes that goes into it. Um, Typical OPD applications run well north of 100 pages right. of, of text, of evidence, of plan. Um, there's often a um, permaculture design ethos that runs through a one planet development. yeah, um, Because it's so design heavy and permaculture provides a very nice design framework um, in which to develop land.
1: So, tell me a little bit about what's happening on this site
0: here, because mm. it's not your, your your standard one. Planet development. So, almost all one planet developments, in, in fact, all one planet developments except for ours, um, are single household single household developments. Um, there are some out some OPDs have neighbouring OPDs quite close to them, mm-hmm. um, and in Pembrokeshire there is the Lamas Eco eco village uh, which is not a one planet development but falls under a very similar planning policy that was available in Pembrokeshire only mm-hmm. um, uh, a few years back when 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 the Lamass eco village was formed but, but within the one planet development policy framework yeah um, our site here in carmarthenshire is the only multi-unit development um, so we have four houses here that operate independently. We have four separate freeholds, yeah. but we are um, close neighbors right. with a degree of um, organic bespoke cooperation. Mm-hmm. So there's not very much um, organized structure, or organized fun or commitments to one <laughs> another. <laughs> right. We're not that kind of community, but there is this sort of organic relationship of having friendly, helpful Neighbours. Sure. Which we think strikes a very nice balance between being isolated um, and being um, in a close-knit community with all of the sort of political and social pitfalls that so often um, arise in communities.
1: uh, Some communities. Yeah.
0: So so we, we, so far, touch wood, we think we've struck quite a nice balance. Yeah between having some of the benefits of of, um, of having close, cooperative, friendly neighbours without some of the pitfalls that are so often before organised, intentional communities. But our, the history of the site, we we bought the land um, in 2013, early 2013. And how big is the, the piece of land? The site is 21 acres, and it's quite um it's quite a diverse bit of land. Um it's on a gentle west facing slope right. um, with a significant amount of road frontage and also the little stream at the bottom. Mm-hmm. There's maybe three, four acres of mature deciduous woodland, um, some flat areas, some slopes, um, so it's it's quite a it's quite a nice bit of land in that respect. Um it's often the case that land is all pasture right or it's all woodland mm-hmm. neither of which are ideal for one planet development the, the diversity is is really quite a nice thing to look for yeah. in a bit of land so we split the 21 acre site up into our four separate small holdings uh-huh. essentially and applied for planning permission for four separate one planet developments so you each own a parcel
1: of what sort of five acres Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Yes, yes. So we each have have our have our own independent five acres, um, which we manage um, ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the planning process took took a little while. Um, we were the first one, Planet Development, in Cambridgeshire, and it took a little while for the local authority to to get up to speed with the policy. Right, um, and we changed planning officers twice, so sort of completely unrelated. <laughs> but we went through. A couple of different planning officers, which which entailed a little bit of delay, but um, yeah, um, but the application was was recommended for approval um, by our planning officer, right? Um, but ultimately, the planning committee rejected it on a split vote. Okay, um, we didn't feel they really understood the policy. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, it was the first time that the planning committee had had seen an application under this yeah relatively new policy at the time so the the committee that approves it
1: uh or denies it are not the same as the planner
0: no the way the way planning works is the council employs planning officers mm-hmm. who are professionally trained in planning have yeah. had a degree in planning typically and they are they have a good detailed understanding of planning policy mm-hmm. but any decision which is a little bit contentious tends to go to the planning committee, right. which is made up um, of councillors who okay. have an interest in planning, but but they aren't necessarily technically trained sure, in yeah. planning the same way a planning officer is. Um, so when a, when our application, which is a very unusual application, um, and involved a new bit of planning policy, the planning committee were not totally up to speed with it right, um, and ended up deciding against us um but we appealed that decision so the decision went to the planning inspector and the planning inspector is a is a planning professional full-time planning inspector at the at the welsh national level and that's a, a fresh look at the application sure yeah um and at that point the planning committee's refusal was overturned and the inspector granted us permission um, and awarded us our costs as well because the decision had been made um, incorrectly the right. first time round. So we received our permission in July, 2016. Um, and that's when, that's when the development really started. Then that's when the work started. That's when we started, um, started. Yeah. That's when we started <laughs> thinking about the, the sort of details and specifics of the, of the design mm-hmm. um, and we were able to to move on to the site. Then I mean, we personally didn't move on to the site. What um, with having small children and uh, pitfalls of living in caravans and things. But um, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so so the, the the project here with the four households yeah. um, started in summer two thousand sixteen.
1: Okay. And what's the the sort of background of the the other people here? Did you like? Were you a close knit group before you moved here, or how is it? How do you find people to live in a place like this doing this
0: um of the four households that are here we only knew one of the other households right. um initially uh, but when we put the word out that we were looking for another two households to join us um very quickly people emerged uh, right were uh, be, be recommended to us or, or became known to us I can't remember exactly the details uh-huh. um but no it was not we weren't a we weren't a community beforehand yeah. but it was not hard to, to, to find people to, to come and join us. Sure. So after we were granted permission in mm-hmm. um, summer of 2016, uh, it took us a few months to to put everything in place to start the build. Right. Um, we, we needed to use predominantly local natural materials, uh-huh. and that drove us down the, the timber and straw route, as we discussed earlier. Yeah. Um, there are two different ways of building with straw, really you can you can do what's called a load-bearing straw bale build where the walls are made of straw bales and the roof is sitting directly on those straw bales so the straw bales are a structural element of of the building um and the other way of doing it is to involve some um some other structure typically a timber frame and it's it's that approach that we adopted on our build We, we could have done it either way um there, there is a i have heard people say the only reason people do timber frame straw bale builds is because they either don't understand the capabilities of the straw or because they like the aesthetics of the timber frame and mm. and i would say three years ago both of those reasons applied <laughs> in parts to us <laughs> right so, so yes we, we could have built this building as a as a load-bearing building um but we really liked the idea of having a timber frame a big chunky timber frame we've used um roundwood larch and the frame sits inside the fabric of the building so the the corner of each room has a a sort of 10 12 inch roundwood post in the in the corner of it mm. um, that 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 supports the structure
1: they i mean they exert uh you know a fair amount of dominance into the the room it's uh, it's a very beautiful thing in there. Yeah, they're round so they mm-hmm. you know like the the trees already were um and yeah the 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 branching off them the 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 braces mm-hmm. you know makes them more tree-like again so it's it's very much like you've you've sort of brought the forest inside mm-hmm. it's a beautiful beautiful thing we'll be back after a quick break hey there i'm mick from the mick and pass show that's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with the old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We found a really nice company T um, tpren they're, they're based in in lampeter um in in, in wales um, not very far from here less, less than an hour's drive from here um, and they're traditional timber framers it's it's all it's all round wood it's oak pegs there are no power tools involved in the in the construction of the frame um, the frame was made in the woods so the, the framers were able to walk out into the woods, they were able to select the trees they wanted, fell them and literally drag them 100 yards back to the workshop um, where all the, the jointing was done over the winter. Mm-hmm. And the frame arrived on site, um, basically sort of flat pack, if you like. Yeah. Um, one day unloading it all. Um, and the timber frame went up in February 2017, here on site um took about 10 days or so right. um five people was I, that
1: with did you use cranes and things for that or was that uh, no it
0: was all done by hand fantastic. um block and tackle gin pole yeah um no no power tools used at all in the construction uh the or the erection so it was all um even big timbers that are that are, um of the, the longest timbers here about eight meters long um and, as I say, twelve fourteen inches at the, the thickest, yeah and these and were green as well so. and yeah. greens are heavy and, yeah. and lifted up with, with with winches and and very Fantastic. very conventional, the same way a building would have been built literally a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. so a thousand years ago in the u k we were building um mortise and tenons with with oak pegs in the same way that this house was built, and uh, there's no metal in the frame at all mm-hmm. until it came to um fixing joists and rafters. So yeah. when you start dealing with the no, with the square cut timbers, we yeah. started using nails. Um and over the last two years or so, as the green wood has has checked, has um has dried out a bit, yeah. um the joints have sort of tightened up. So the 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 wood is green and will shrink, but the pegs are pre-seasoned so won't shrink. So the wood tightens around around the joints. and and leaves a a really nice structure but also has a degree of flex in it and when you're using um the natural materials it's quite nice not to have super hard rigid materials because when you have rigid materials meeting you can kind of maybe get cracks and there's always going to be a little bit of movement in a building Mm. and it's nice if the materials the clay and the lime and the straw and the timber the whole thing just has a little bit of malleability to it a little bit of flex to it. so we haven't really had any of the issues in the first year or so of things moving and causing problems yeah there hasn't been so really any and... yeah hasn't really really any snagging to do at all really
1: fantastic has um has the the drying of the timbers have you had any loud cracks and
0: yeah, we have actually can we only notice it at night and sometimes yeah. you're you're lying in bed at night it's totally dark, <laughs> and you hear this sort of often a tick 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 and then, a, <laughs> and then a loud crack yeah um as the as the round wood sh- shrinks a bit and cracks a bit yeah um but no it's structurally it was no issue in, in that at all um mm. they do say that the um that for a given cross-sectional area a roundwood timber is quite a lot stronger than a square cut timber yeah because all the fibers are still in place you're not you're not cutting through the fibers you're not weakening it um so yeah, from a, a structural engineering point of view, yeah, uh, our structural engineer had had no issue with uh, with the design at all. He did all the the load calculations for our foundation, and and basically the the roundwood timber frame is significantly over engineered yeah. than what would be required to hold the hold a building of this of this size mm-hmm. up.
1: So as you say, um, you said at the beginning, uh, yeah, these timbers could be if this house for some reason comes down they, they could be reused like when you see old ships timbers being used to sort of hold up a barn or something
0: yeah, that absolutely we All i mean uh, we would expect the um, a lot of the fabric of this building mm. to actually outlive the building itself right I mean, it's, it's possible this building will stand for hundreds of years but but if it didn't the timbers haven't been used up in the same way that yeah. cement is used up, yeah, when it goes into a building, you, you don't you don't recover the cement from a from a cement building. But but a lot of these materials could be recovered. This, these these timbers will be will have a life, or have a good chance of having a lifespan beyond beyond this building, um, yeah. keeping the the sort of uh, the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties carbon that's inside them mm. um, out of the atmosphere for for potentially hundreds of years.
1: So hopefully we've sorted out all that carbon issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe, maybe.
1: <laughs> um, you touched briefly on foundations there. I'm interested to know what mm. you used here. I mean, obviously the convention uh, in sort of modern building is to dig a big trench and fill it with concrete. Um, I'm assuming that's not what you've done.
0: Yeah. So the, the foundations are, are quite a light touch. Um the the ground here is very solid. We're on quite stony ground. So it's a case of um removing all the topsoil obviously and removing the, the subsoil. Um we didn't have to go down very deep before we got down to something that was really quite solid. Yeah. Um so we did dig trenches. I think there's seven trenches that run across the site and they are filled with forty mil clean gravel. Um just to so self-draining. Just to allow uh, the draining. Yeah. Um and then there's the contact points where the timber frame meets the ground. Mm-hmm. All the weight of the house is just taken on a relatively small number of these contact points right. where, where the timber frame meets the ground. And the ground floor is suspended above ground on the, on the timber frame. So each of those contact points has a large concrete padstone. Right. Um, so we actually use car tyres. They're not traditional car tyre foundations as as is often used in straw bale buildings, we've just used the car tire as a convenient shuttering for right. cement. Okay. So so we have these cast cement pads, which are the size of fairly large car tyres, sort of SUV four by four type car tires. Yeah. Um which give us a nice round, solid concrete padstone okay. onto which the timber frame sits with a uh, with a damp proof membrane yeah. as a uh, in addition and the so it's
1: real minimal amount of concrete. yeah i think we've
0: used about 500 kilos of okay. cement so half a ton or so yeah of cement for what is a fairly significant building yeah so that's um well less like well over an order of magnitude less than would be used in a in a in a concrete pad or even even a concrete ring beam um so we're we're really pleased to have been able to keep our cement use as minimal as that mm. um, it's not it would have been nice to use no cement at all, but there is this sort of phrase of don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good." <laughs> we think that we've we've made sort of ninety percent plus reductions yeah, and it would have been a bit more challenging to get rid of the very last the very last bit so so yeah, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have used cement at all, but we've used. Dramatically less than a conventional build, yeah. so, so we're, we're 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 kind of happy with that. There's there's a whenever you try and do something, there's always compromises. And that <laughs> it is, really, is. that was a compromise.
1: Um, yes, uh, well, I mean, it should be that your know yeah, the rest of the build should negate
0: the. the mm. So sure moving is. on from the from the timber frame, um, with the timber frame up, you can build the roof first. Yeah. So we had a period of time in the summer when we had we had the floor and we had the timber frame, and we had the roof. Right. And at that point, you hope there isn't going to be a really serious wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've created
1: a mighty <laughs> sail. Yeah,
0: yes. But having the roof built before the walls means that the 500 straw bales straw bales, can be delivered to site right. and delivered to the house. So we didn't have to worry about um, having a barn for the straw bales. We didn't have to worry about having tarpaulins and keeping them dry. Yeah. The straw bales could come straight from the tractor, into the house and then we built the walls from the inside out right um and having the roof there already makes it a lot easier to keep the walls dry as you're building them yeah you've already got the roof and we had scaffolding around so we were able to have scaffolding sheeting nice. around um in hindsight it would have been even easier if we'd already put the guttering on <laughs> but, <laughs> right. we, but we hadn't put the guttering on so <laughs> so yes yeah, pro tip is if you're going to build the roof first Doing a load bearing, sorry, a, a timber frame yeah. straw bale build. It's worth putting the um, guttering on. That makes water <laughs> management that much easier.
1: We haven't discussed that. This build, you you are a true self builder in the sense that you've you've done every part of it Well, except the the frame. But um...
0: we've done the majority of the work ourselves. So the timber frame was built by a local workers cooperative. Um, also included two apprentices, so two apprentices worked on building the frame off site and mm-hmm. in the erection of it here, um, so that was nice so we you could say we took on the site with the with the frame yeah already in, already in situ um, so then we did the straw bale walls um, with the help of volunteers, yeah um, we did the lime rendering on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, that also included a lime rendering course from Barbara Jones of okay. the School of Natural Building. So she hosted a, a five day course here um, where we learned how to do lime rendering mm-hmm. and also had a few extra hands to to help that week. Um, and then the rest of the lime rendering and the clay plastering on the inside. That took a long time, many months of work, and we had a lot of volunteers mm-hmm. to help with the lime rendering and the clay plastering. Um, so the only parts of the build that we've paid external professionals to help with yeah. is, is the timber frame, yeah. um, the electrics, right. a, a qualified electrician. Um we had some help putting the steel roof on. Right. Um That's we could have done it ourselves. We used a product from Tata Steel called Color Coat Urban, which is relatively easy to install. It it is possible for non-roofing professionals to install it. Yeah. Um, but it just got a little bit late in the year and um and we sort of ran out of time and energy ourselves to do it. So we we paid a, a mm-hmm. local experienced roofing company who did it in three days and it just sort of made that issue disappear which is always nice <laughs> yeah. so as I was, so I was saying timber frame electrician uh a roofer um uh, we also employed a plumber yeah um to do much of the plumbing and that's basically it i think i think oh, oh and um a stove fitter to do the to do the flume a heat ass yes uh, so so uh, a heat ass qualified engineer to do that so so that's sort of our limit of professional services so all the other aspects of the build have basically done by been done by ourselves with the with um with volunteers and friends and family helping as well um
1: and so including you know project management and all of that that's been all your
0: Oh yeah, so so yeah, project, project management was, was just definitely a big, ourselves. big task in itself. Yeah, and it's and it's taken yeah about two years or so to to to, to be complete enough to to finish to, to to live in. I mean, it's not it's not absolutely finished. There are a few rough edges here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how long it takes to <laughs> if it will ever be what you would call finished. But um, but as uh, we we're, we're, we're recording this at the end of March and um, our focus is starting to to be outside now and we're yeah. we're looking more at developing the developing the gardens and and uh, are growing this year and um, and expecting the the chicks to arrive soon and it's all right. just sort of as as spring turns into summer it's sort of building slides down the agenda perhaps
1: yep but I mean it's certainly um, you know it's very comfortable it's um, you yeah, know I think all of your walls most of your walls have got plaster on them and yeah it's it's certainly a livable space i've seen people live in uh, <laughs> in much less completed uh
0: yeah we're very pleased with the performance of the building in terms of its heat especially mm. um we're we're off grid yeah. so uh all our electricity comes from our solar panels um we also have a a wood stove with a with a oven and a back boiler for heating yep. water um our, photovoltaics, PV electric panels do generate a lot of our hot water. Mm -hmm. Um, In March this year, um, 2019, we've only lit the wood stove three times. Fantastic. And For hot water, not really for space heating, so we've lit it for hot water. But other than those three times, all our hot water has come from the solar electric. Yeah. Being off grid, we can't export the electric. So any solar electric that we generate which isn't used in that instant as it's being generated we put into the hot water tank so we have immersion heaters that keep the hot water tank up so the hot water is continually being dumped modest amounts of of electrical energy Uh and unless it's really cloudy for many days in a row that's actually enough for all our hot water requirements um and last summer it was only sort of middle of november that yeah. we started lighting the wood stove for both space heating and hot water so all but sort of three three and a half months we That's, are living on solar pv yeah for our hot water our electricity all our cooking is electric electric oven electric kettle electric um induction hobs um so yeah pv does work even here in in southwest wales
1: i saw a, a- post of yours uh, which was talking about the how dark it was in was it november december um, yeah
0: so this winter gone was our first winter living here off grid relying on our solar panels and december was very dark mm. i hadn't realized it at the time but looking back at the climate data a few months later um here in southwest wales we only had about 30 percent of the normal amount of sunshine for december wow so it was really dark dark. yeah and and because it was our first year living here we weren't entirely sure is this normal or is this not Mm -hmm. because yeah it's quite dark here we're we're struggling a bit on on the power but looking at the data has actually made us feel a lot better about the situation (laughs) because it turns out that december 18 was a particularly dark um dark month um there was very stable high pressure very low cloud Mm -hmm. it wasn't a particularly wet um month but because there was this very low cloud base it was just dark for a lot of the time and that cloudy dark weather corresponded with a time um when obviously the days were at their shortest yes now had that same weather pattern occurred at a time of year when the days weren't so short, it wouldn't have had such an impact. Mm-hmm. But it was a sort of perfect storm of the very shortest days with the very worst weather conditions persisting for several weeks. And um, People so, yeah. in this part of the country that rely a lot on solar panels were, were struggling a bit this winter. Mm. But, but that, this wasn't typical. We, right. It's very likely that next winter will be a lot better than, than the winter just gone.
1: And do you have uh, a backup source of power? Do you have a generator or, no. or water or...
0: We don't have any backup source of electricity. I specifically designed the PV system, the solar electric system, not to even be able to accept a generator input because we right. really didn't even want the temptation of being able to use a generator. <laughs> um, so no, we couldn't plug a generator in even if we wanted to. No. Um, because the system really should be able to cope without that. And if, but living off grid on solar panels is perfectly viable, is perfectly possible, as long as you've got... As long as you manage your expectations, as long as you have what I call um, a behavioural change backstop, right? If you like, you can. So nine times out of ten, we can live in this house t- perfectly normally. Yeah, we run the well. I say normally, normally <laughs> conventionally for the UK. Yeah, um, we have a we have a normal washing machine, we have a normal electric oven, we have a normal toaster and and, yep. and electric hobs and. Um, it and lighting as you'd expect in a conventional house in the uk Mm -hmm. and nine times out of ten we can use them without really thinking about it but if we were to design a system so you could use all that infrastructure on every single day under every single circumstance that would be virtually impossible right or it would be incredibly expensive take up a lot of area it would be really really difficult but if you're willing to say okay uh, sometimes for a couple of weeks a year, a few weeks a year, we're not going to do that. We're yeah. not going to cook on electric. We're not going to run the washing machine more than once a week. You, just, you As long as you're able to modify your behavior a bit, just pull back on your demand a bit, that's what makes the the reliance on renewables viable. And we've learnt that from our own personal domestic experience. Uh-huh. But I think that lesson probably also applies on a national level as well. So the UK can generate a lot of electricity from renewables, but don't expect renewables to cover absolutely everything all the time and maintain the current behaviour of mix yeah. that we have. But that doesn't mean to say they're not useful. It doesn't mean to say they are not useful does not mean to say they can not make a big contribution. Just don't expect them to be everything, because mm-hmm. then you're into a system design which is just hopelessly uneconomical. It- hopelessly over-engineered almost all the time right if you're trying to yeah. cater for the worst case scenario that means you've over provisioned every all every, every all the rest of the time so it's kind of getting that balance point right
1: yeah
0: and and so i should say our solar array is 6.4 kilowatts okay and on a, on a good day in the summer we can be getting 30 or 40 kilowatt hours out of that the majority goes into hot water, which means you've got a um, vast supply of hot water. On our very, very worst days um, in the middle of winter, we were getting about 0. 0.3, 4 mm-hmm. kilowatt hours in a day. And that's not very much. No. 0.3, 4 kilowatt hours is the equivalent of a few minutes of bright sunshine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: But that's what we were getting in over the whole day. And that is barely enough to... Keep the lights on and keep a fridge running, yeah. um, maybe the internet router. But that's basically what we were down to for a couple of weeks last winter. Okay. But that was okay. And the infrastructure it would have required to live um, without any restrictions for those couple of weeks yeah. would have just been incredible and would have resulted in a massive expense and a massive overengineering of the system for all the rest of the year yeah so so yeah we can we can modify our behavior for those worst for those worst lowest output weeks
1: (laughs) or you end up uh like uh, quite a lot of people i've met in the states who are like yeah i live off grid i'm totally self-sustainable and then they uh totally self-sustained rather uh and then well yeah i run my generator three times a week
0: so. yeah i mean it kind of defeats the point in a way doesn't it yeah. if you if you're if you're having to run a generator but it's <laughs> but it's it's the end of the day so it's like don't don't let the perfect be the enemy the no. good if you have to run a generator three times a year and that mitigates a whole lot of other stuff then yeah that's that, that's not the end of the world i mean we've we our system is such that we don't need to run a generator for the demands Mm. for the loads that we place on it um but yeah if you have to burn 10 liters of petrol a year to keep the lights on that's put that into context of how much petrol you're putting in a car perhaps yeah then 10 liters of petrol to run a generator three times a year is pretty trivial compared to the car you're maybe driving every other day so 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 yes if you're the the environment the climate doesn't care if the petrol is burnt in a car or burnt in a generator mm-hmm. so. uh
1: you gave us a tour of your your battery system and your charge controllers and it was uh it was like looking at something from a from a spaceship uh it was it was quite a, a beautiful sight um i could tell that you were you were very pleased with it
0: as well <laughs> yeah i know mean, it it's It's been built for redundancy. Mm. Um, The way the solar panels are arranged on the roof, there's two separate arrays with two separate cables coming in. We have two separate charge controllers. So if anything happens to the array, if anything happens to the cable, if anything happens to the electronics in the charge controller, there's a degree of um, redundancy there. Um, On the demand side, the lighting is all 24 volt DC lighting for the house. So it doesn't require... Um, the electrics of in inversion so it doesn't require an inverter Um, and on the ac side um, we have a relatively low power inverter which is on 24 7 Mm -hmm. and runs all the things that you need to have on all the time Um, smoke alarms uh, internet router the freezer Mm -hmm. Um, relatively low load but needs to be there 24 7 and then we've got another inverter which is a bigger inverter six kilowatt inverter which we only turn on when we actually need it Uh to run power tools or to run the electric oven um the big stuff the big stuff yeah Yeah. because if you leave a big inverter on 24 7 just to run your internet router Uh that's very inefficient because the big inverter actually has quite a big load even when nothing is on yeah so, so we split the AC supply into this little inverter that's on all the time, and a big inverter that we manually switch on right. whenever we want to use uh, an appliance with a with a high requirement. And that's that change in habit again. That you know. That's... yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, we've learnt to learnt to live with the system. It's it's the new normal. Um, it's not uh, a
1: huge uh, change
0: to flick on one switch before you flick on another. No, switch, it's, it's it's very it? it's very straightforward. Um, And the other sort of aspect of behavior change is interesting because we do attempt to use the power when it's available, Uh when it's being generated. There is an inefficiency of putting it into the batteries and taking it out again. Right. And the batteries also have a finite life. And the harder you work the batteries, the the shorter period of time they'll live for. So we do try to have our main meal, our cooked meal at lunchtime and um and a lighter dinner so we're not cooking on the electric oven after dark we yeah so it's we don't always manage it it's not but (laughs) but we but it tends to be the case that suns comes out that's when we do something that has a high so your washing happens yeah we we, we put the washing machine on when the sun comes out yeah we don't do the washing machine in the evening Yeah. yeah so it's just little changes um but the fact that we live on site and I don't have to commute off site every day, nine to five to a job makes that sort of, um, makes that sort of lifestyle more viable. Yeah. We are able to make micro decisions minute by minute, hour by hour, um, based on what the environment's doing. Yeah. Rather than having to walk out the door eight o'clock every morning and not coming back until six o'clock after dark. Um, which means you'd be unable to to make use of that use of that solar resource.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that's. I mean, that's the purpose of the One Planet, isn't it? The, the One Planet development is that it's. you know, you're creating not just uh, a way to get a house; it's a whole way of living that's you know, enables that.
0: Yeah, that absolutely. What the One Planet development planning policy is absolutely not just about building a house it's about the behavior of the occupants and it's about facilitating the the environment that lets people live in a different way Mm -hmm. so the fact that we are able to live on a site with a significant amount of land which uh which we have to run this land-based enterprise from so basically i my job is working on this on this site um means that we're not commuting off site means that our transport costs and the impact of our transport are significantly lower than they would be otherwise. Um, we're able to respond to the site in a way that we couldn't do if Mm. we lived a long way away, or if we had to leave site for a significant amount of time every day. Yeah. So it makes the, the, the management and the operation of the site, um, more more efficient than just the fact that we're able to be here all the time. Uh, and it's 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 really good for, for the kids. We've got we've got two 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 young children and it's really nice for them to have this safe environment yeah. to grow up in. And that we're here all the time for yeah. them.
1: So I wanted to ask you about um the One Planet Council. Um that is that's something you set up? Is that right?
0: Uh so the One planet Council was formed um, quite a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a voluntary group um, and our main aim is to promote and support the policy mm-hmm. um, we offer support and training to applicants who are looking to um, to use the policy We also offer training to um, planning officials right. um, and councillors um, who are on on the other side on uh receiving and evaluating right. these um these applications um we also offer a space for um the opd practitioners to share best practice okay um and uh, a sort of community group yeah. um there's a, there's a facebook group a web page um which are, you know, a twitter account which are all quite quite actively used um in the summer uh in in july Mm -hmm. last year and we will be doing it again this year um we run a a sort of open doors week where a dozen or more one planet developments open their open their doors to the public for for a day during this this sort of managed week yeah um so that everyone can see just what's involved in a one planet development Uh yeah um and that is coming up uh this summer when is that um I think it is the week commencing July 22nd, Okay, that's well, a Monday. I'll check that um,
1: and, and put it on the blog. That yeah. goes uh, with
0: otherwise, look at the One Planet Council website. Okay. You just search One Planet Council or the One Planet Council Facebook group, mm-hmm. um, the, the best places to look. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a few different things we do, the, the, the training, the open days. We also have a, um, a One Planet Produce sticker Mm. Because all a, a fundamental aspect of a One Planet development is that it produces, um, produce for sale, which yeah. is grown or reared on site. But how do you market that? So we have a, a logo, One Planet produce logo, which all, which is available for all One Planet developers, developments to use. Yeah. Um, so it shows their customers that the, the but the jar of honey or the salad bag or the box of eggs that they're purchasing was produced on a one planet development, uh, which tells you about the, um, about the environmental impact. It tells you about the lifestyle, the ethos. It tells you a little bit about the, about the provenance Mm -hmm. of that food. Um, it's, It's not dissimilar in, um, in sort of motivation for um, the sort of soil associations, organic logo or the fair trade logo. Yeah. It just communicates with your customer base a bit more about the product. Yeah. Um, so it's, it doesn't say anything more than the produce is from a one planet development. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the podcast. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey. It's really, really good to talk to you today. And um, let's go and have some lunch. Yes, perfect. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you so much to Chris for sparing the time to speak to me. He is a wealth of knowledge and uh, really great that he is out there doing it. His home is really spectacular. I do recommend you check out T-Pren, which is spelt T-Y-P-R-E-N. They are the Roundwood Timber Framers. Thank you once again to Mike Bite Hill for the wonderful theme music. And thank you to yourself for listening right to the end like a champion. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please do subscribe and we will continue to feed them into your ears. That's all for me. See you soon. Bye-bye. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money
0: together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.